God's will, God's way. I'd like to pray with you as we begin. Let's bow together. Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity now to look into your word, to celebrate some of the things we've been singing about in these past minutes that we've been reading from your scriptures that are just flowing right out of the word of God, that are then, I would pray, true expressions of our relationship with you, of our surrender to you. And so we pray as we look into your word, we're grateful for it, for the truth of it, for the clarity of it, for the empowerment that goes with it. And so we invite you to speak to us now as only you can, in Jesus' precious name, amen. We're in the middle of this series, When God Leads the Way, and we're talking about the children of Israel as they're moving out of slavery in Egypt and are moving into the promised land towards it and the various opportunities that God lays in their path, opportunities some of which they exercised and sadly, a number of which they did not step into. And we're sort of paralleling that a little bit with our sort of wilderness or desert experience that we find ourselves in in these past 15 months or so. And we're looking for those kind of parallels and those opportunities that God has for us. Our chief character, Moses, in chapter 2, believed that God was leading him to be the deliverer of Israel, but he chose to do it on his own terms, in his own way, and on his own timeline. And this led him to total mission failure, led him to be rejected by God's people, and he had to flee for his life and run into exile in the desert in Midian. In the desert, there was some lessons that he learned that he typically would never have learned in the palace or in the throes of success. There was some lessons that he could only learn in the penalty box, in the wilderness. And so we asked the question, what are some of the things that we might assume that God is seeking to teach us as we're in our own version of the wilderness. Last week we looked at chapter 3 and 4 and we said after 40 years in the desert and wilderness of Midian attending sheep, God appears to him supernaturally in the form of a burning bush. And God says, Moses, I have a job for you and I want you to go back to Egypt and I'm going to use you as my deliverer to bring my people, the children of Israel, out of slavery into the promised land. And Moses' immediate reaction is, who, me? You want me to do what? And he is very reticent to do it and comes up with a whole series of excuses as to why he shouldn't have to. And as we move through those excuses, the invitation was, can you see yourself in any of these excuses? Reasons that we give or excuses that we proclamate to God saying why I shouldn't have to do what you've called me to do. So we looked at, I haven't got what it takes. What if they ask me a question I don't know the answer to? What if they laugh at me and reject me like they did back in chapter 2, 40 
years ago when I first tried this. What if I don't have the power? And we suggested that if God calls us to do a job, if he gives us a mission, he empowers us, he enables us, he gives us the authority as well, like he did with Moses in chapter 3. He gives us the authority as well to do the job he's called us to do. What has God asked us to do? Today, we look at the latter part of the fourth chapter, God's will, God's way. In chapter 2, he knew what God's will was, but he tried to do it not in God's way. In chapter 3, God reveals the way that he is to do it, but then Moses just plain doesn't want to do it. Finally, at the end of chapter 4, he agrees to do it God's will, God's way. If you have your Bible or your device, I invite you to turn with me to Exodus chapter 4, beginning in verse 18. Exodus is the second book of the Old Testament, second book of the Bible. And it says, beginning in verse 18, then Moses went back to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, let me go back to my own people in Egypt to see if any of them are still alive. Jethro said, go, and I wish you well. Jethro blesses him as he goes. Now the Lord had said to Moses and Midian, go back to Egypt for all the, peop- the men who wanted to kill you are dead. So Moses took his wife and sons, put them on a donkey and started back to Egypt and he took the staff of God in his hand. The Lord said to Moses, when you return to Egypt, see that you perform before Pharaoh all the wonders that have uh, all, the, all the wonders I have given you the power to do, but I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Then say to Pharaoh, this is what the Lord says, Israel is my firstborn son, and I told you, let my son go so that he may worship me, but you refuse to let him go, so I will kill your firstborn son." At a lodging place on the way, the Lord met Moses and was about to kill him. But Sephorah, that's his wife, Sephora took a flint knife, cut off her son's foreskin, and touched Moses' feet with it. Surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me, she said. So the Lord let him alone. At that time, she said, bridegroom of blood, referring to circumcision. The Lord said to Moses, go into the desert to meet Moses. So he met Moses at the mountain of God and kissed him. Then Moses told Aaron everything the Lord had sent him to say and also all about the miraculous signs he had commanded him to perform. Moses and Aaron brought together all the elders of of the Israelites and Aaron told them everything the Lord had said to Moses. He also performed the signs before the people and they believed. And when they heard that the Lord was concerned about them and had seen their misery, they bowed down and worshiped. So after he says yes to the mission, the first thing he does is he approaches his family, specifically his father-in-law, to discuss the situation and to seek his blessing, which was a a courtesy way of honoring his father-in-law and his extended family. When God crystallizes his calling in our life. We should go and tenderly loosen the ties 
that we need to. And if it's at all possible, it's not always possible, we should attempt to gain the blessing of those close family members and friends before setting out on the job that God's called us to do. This is in keeping with Scripture talking to us about honoring our father and mother. And it may be that they're not believers, or it may be that they don't agree with God's clear calling, but ultimate, and ultimately, as adults, we have to do what God has called us to do, but we can try to honor them in the process. There's some wisdom in that, and we should take note of that. Finally, Moses is back on track, and he's following God's will, and right in the heart of the passage, seemingly very unusual thing takes place. All of a sudden, as he's on the journey, finally doing what God's called him to do, it says God is about to kill him. Why is that? Why does it say that in verse 24? It says, at the lodging place on the way, the Lord met Moses and was about to kill him. Very unusual happening here, it seems like. When we make the decision to trust God rather than ourselves, to trust his agenda rather than ours, to follow his will rather than our own, we're often going to find that God begins to unearth things and areas of our life where we have either neglected things or deliberately not done the things we were called to do and failed to repent of those things or perhaps even pretended like they never happened. And he will often do this, begin to unearth things that we have tried to keep buried and not deal with. In Genesis chapter 17, and then it's reiterated in Joshua chapter 5, there's a very clear command from God that they were to circumcise the newborn male Hebrew children. And Moses had failed to do this with one of his sons. Now, I understand that today circumcision is a hotly debated issue in terms of a medical procedure. Some believe medically that it's a wise and a good procedure to undertake. Some think it's not. The medical consideration is not the big issue here, although the medical and sanitary climate back then was was different than now. Back then, the primary issue, what's at the heart of what's being spoken about here, is identifying with God. Just like we are called as biblical believers, when we give our life to Christ, we are called then to follow him in obedience through the waters of baptism, to identify with God in a public way, to say, I'm on team Jesus, and I'm declaring this publicly. For the Hebrews back then, this was a tangible sign that they were God's children. It was a sign of their relationship. And to not do it was denying your heritage, denying your relationship with God. It was to be openly disobedient to something God had clearly told them to do. On the eighth day, a newborn male Hebrew child was to be circumcised. Because of the seriousness of Moses openly defying God this way, God was ready to put everything on hold and use someone else to accomplish the mission. 
Someone has said this, one duty neglected may frustrate the whole purpose of a life. Sin not dealt with in this circumstance was important enough to God that he was going to put on hold the plan of two million plus people and go to an alternate plan. This was not something that Moses simply forgot to do. This is not something a person forgets. It wasn't something that he didn't know about, he knew about it. It was something he had deliberately chosen not to do. And we're not sure why. And so let me venture some guesses. And notice I clearly differentiate when I say these are just guesses because it doesn't say in the text. And so whenever we step outside the text, we need to be very careful what we're saying. So this is just a guess on my part as to why maybe this took place. Perhaps he was mad at God for what had happened in Egypt. Again, this idea of the besetting sin that caused him so much trouble in chapter 2, and we're going to see it caused him immense trouble later on in life. Perhaps this was an example of his besetting sin, his anger, his uncontrollable anger getting the best of him again. For the nation, as they went through the wilderness, their besetting sin was grumbling. We're going to talk about that and how that might relate to us during this time of going through the wilderness. We'll be talking about that later in this series. But for Moses, perhaps his besetting sin of anger was at work and he was angry with God. Perhaps it was pride. Perhaps he was angry with God, chose not to do it. I'll show you. Later he realized, I shouldn't have done that, but he was too proud to admit that he'd messed up and admit his sin, and repent of his sin. Maybe he was just lazy. I don't think that was the case. Maybe it was peer pressure. Maybe he wanted to try and be an undercover believer in front of the Midianites. Do you ever try to be an undercover believer and say this and sort of lie to ourselves this way? I can be a Jesus follower, but I don't in any way need to publicly acknowledge that. I don't know. Any number of those reasons or maybe another reason. His neglected duty, his outright disobedience threatened to frustrate the whole purpose of his life. Sometimes people will say to me, "Uh, Scott, I can't seem to find God's will God's direction for my life. Some of you might be thinking, well, Scott keeps talking about these opportunities that God is giving to us as we go through the wilderness, as we go through the desert. How do I discover what those opportunities are? How do I discover what God wants me to do? Perhaps one reason, and I note it's one reason, not the only reason, but perhaps one reason we don't know what that is or don't know what that opportunity is or what his will is, is because we have not been obedient in that area or areas that God has revealed to us. And we've neglected to deal with it and we try to act like it's no big deal or it never happened. Alan Redpath wrote this, Don't expect God to reveal his will for you next week until you practice it for today. 
We want to know about what's coming here and what should I do about this, but we're neglecting and choosing not to do what has been clearly revealed to us at this moment. You know, when I was growing up and uh, thinking back on my life, every time I would come to one of those crossroad moments where God wanted to do a significant work in my life, he would point his finger at two things I had done when I was a child. When I was like 10, 12 years of age. And every time I would come to one of those crossroads, I would be troubled by them, and yet I would rationalize, and my pride would kick in as an adult, and I would say, Those were no big deal. Those were really minor little issues back then. No one, there's not a chance that people will even remember those things. There's probably, they probably didn't even know what had happened at the time. But every time I wanted to go further and deeper in my relationship with God, as I wanted to step into the spirit-filled life as a 19-year-old man, these things would come up in my mind. And finally, I humbled myself, and that's what it takes. Finally, I got down on my knees. I repented of my sin, first of all, of not dealing with this stuff and being too prideful to deal with this stuff, and then the issues themselves. And then I wrote some letters, and I made some restitution. And friends, there was incredible peace after that. I never thought about those things again. In fact, to be honest with you, I can remember the one thing I did kind of vaguely, the other thing, I don't even remember what it was. Because God has forgiven, God has cleansed, and there is peace. When God goes to use you, is there something that just keeps coming to mind? An issue that you don't want to deal with. It might be a big thing. It might be a really small thing. My my challenges, don't ignore it. Take care of it. Humble yourself. Repent of your sin. If necessary, because of the nature of it, make restitution. Another thing we see in this passage is that God will often use those who are closest to us to expose the areas of our lives that need spiritual cleansing. Zipporah, his wife, does it. She probably knew him best being his wife. And finally, she gets frustrated and said, if you're not going to deal with this, I am. And we don't like having people close to us remind us of what we know is right. Remind us of our sin. And again, this is a pride issue but often they are the ones that have earned the right to speak plainly in our life. And if there's a problem, let's say in your marriage relationship, maybe at the heart of it, maybe there's other reasons, but maybe at the heart of it is because the one that knows you the best is pointing something out to you that you are refusing to deal with. I can't tell you how many times, Debbie, because she loves me, because she wants what's best for me, has corrected me and invited me to repent. 
What are those that are close to you saying to you? What are the people that are closest to you saying to you? Do we even let them say it? Or are they afraid to say it to us because of how we might react? So we remember with me that in chapter 2, Moses knew God's will, but he didn't do it God's way. He tried to do it in his own manner, on his own timeline, with his own agenda. In chapter 3, Moses knew the way God intended to do it, but he just said, I'm not going to do God's will. I know the plan, but I just won't do it. Finally, here at the end of chapter 4, he's ready to do God's will, God's way. What are some of the key questions to help us proceed forward in God's will and God's way? This is something I often have people ask me about. What are some of these key questions? I'll call them filters that we look through to help determine God's will, God's way. And some of these ideas come from something called the power of a whisper. The first one is this. If I want to know God's will, God's way, I ask this question, is this prompting truly from God? Is this prompting truly from God? What I mean by that is I pray and I allow and I ask God, is this message from you? Or have I allowed, you know, quote unquote, other voices to influence me? And I might pray and just say, God, whatever of this idea or this opportunity is from you. Let that stick to me and let everything else drop away. As I'm praying, I'm praying, Lord, does this square with who I know you to be? Is this consistent with your revealed character and your revealed attributes? And as we're praying about this, we're waiting for God's all clear. And if you don't get that all clear, this is at the very least a warning sign a warning flag. Second question, or second filter. Is it scriptural? Is it scriptural? The Bible is very clear on the issues of life. And it either speaks directly or indirectly to the decision. And whenever I go to make a decision, it's good to ask, can I imagine Jesus doing this? And so we check every prompting to make sure it lines up with Scripture. Let me say something as clearly as I can. Any message to do anything that contradicts Scripture is not from God. We often like to think of ourselves as a special case because we want to do whatever it is we want to do. Any message that suggests something that clearly contradicts Scripture is not from God. If you think it is, you're listening to the lies of the evil one. And so some of the prominent lies we're hearing nowadays is Jesus is not the only way to have a relationship with God. There's a multitude of ways. This is in direct contradiction to the Word of God. It's okay to steal if need be, direct contradiction to the word of God. It's okay to sleep with whoever I want. This is in direct contradiction to the word of God. The word of God is very clear. 
It should only be in a heterosexual, monogamous, covenant relationship. In other words, marriage between one man and one woman. Very clear. Now, you can do these things, but just understand, you're walking against the current of Scripture and what God has clearly said. Just understand that. Thirdly, is it wise? So much of the book of Proverbs and many other places in Scripture talk about wisdom, about seeking wisdom, about asking God for wisdom. It says in James chapter 1 that God will give wisdom. God's direction rarely violates the wisdom test, which is the proper and healthy application of knowledge. And if it appears unwise, again, be cautious. This is a warning flag. Fourthly, is it in tune, whatever this opportunity is, is it in tune with your own character? God created you. God seeded the gifts that he's seeded into your life. And if the prompting is to do something totally outside what we normally do and who we normally are, again, be cautious. Sometimes God tells us to go in a totally different direction, but usually he then will confirm that from a multitude of directions. So again, just a caution. Number five, last filter. What do the people you most trust think? When you are sensing God's leading, find two or three mature believers in Christ, people who know you, people who are further down the path of growing in Christ, describe the situation in detail, and then ask them to speak into your life. Do you believe this is from God? Or did I hear this wrong? And the mature believers need to speak the truth in love. Have the courage, if you are that mature believer, to speak the truth in love. Sometimes you'll see some people that will make a decision and it has disastrous outcomes later and some of their quote-unquote friends will say to them, yeah, I was really concerned that this was going to happen. Then why didn't you speak into their life? This is what a true friend does. As difficult as that can be to speak the truth in love. Again, times there are times when God will lead us in a direction other than that of godly counsel. But that is a warning. Finally, Moses is working in God's will and God's way. And when God calls us to do something, may we learn the lessons that Moses learned on the way. And when that's the case, then verses 29 through 31 take place. Moses and Aaron brought together all the elders of the Israelites, and Aaron told them everything the Lord had said to Moses. He also performed the signs before the people, and they believed. And when they heard that the Lord was concerned about them and had seen their misery, they bowed down and worshiped. God's will, God's way, now there is acceptance, there is authority, there is worship, and there is peace.